So let's pray. We rejoice, our Lord, that you are our heavenly Father, and you know what is best for us. We need you to teach us from your word, and we're so thankful that you have gone to great measures to preserve this, this amazing book through the decades and the hundreds and even thousands of years that parts of it have been in existence. Would you open our hearts and minds now to the work of your spirit through this book that we might hear clearly from you what was written 2,000 years ago. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been around the Bible for any length of time, you know that the New Testament, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you're a student of the Word, you understand that each of the four Gospels was written from a different perspective about the life of Christ. All can, some of them contain the same story. Some have differing aspects to fit the particular theme of the Gospel. We've been studying in the Gospel of Mark, which is a Gospel about Jesus being servant to us coming to bring us our salvation. Mark is also unique because it particularly targets Gentile people. And today, if you don't understand that, this passage is going to be like, huh, what's the big deal? Because you wouldn't understand what Mark is about. But if you understand, the servant is coming to introduce us to the fact that salvation isn't just for the Jew. It's also for a lot of us in this room that are Gentiles. And for you Jews, it's not a cut to you at all. It's an amazing blessing that through you came the Savior of the world. This is an amazing passage that we're going to be looking at today. Uh, actually, in the ancient world, at the time of uh, Jesus, many of the Jewish religious leaders held a view about Judaism that any person who was not a Jew or a converted Jew, they were just like a dog of the culture. They were, they were considered to be people who were outcasts and unclean and headed for some kind of eternal judgment because God really was really only interested in the Jews or those that converted to Judaism. Sort of a superiority kind of a feeling of Judaism. But the biblical view is a little different. The biblical view says God chose a nation, the Jewish people, and through them he chose to send the world a savior so that through the Jews the entire world would be blessed. A little different perspective. And of course, Jesus holds to that perspective. And today, he's going to be ministering to Gentile people in this passage and hint at what is coming in a major way throughout the rest of the New Testament. Actually, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, God speaks to this when he spoke to Israel. You would have thought the Jewish people would have caught it. In the second half of this verse in particular, he mentions it. It's a, it, it, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, God says, to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel that I have kept. Now watch what he says next. I will also make you a light. Turn the light on for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So through the Jewish people, God is going to bless the entire world by bringing a Savior. Salvation isn't just for the Jews. It's to them first, but through them it comes to the rest of us that are not Jews. 
This is really important stuff today in this passage. In fact, uh, we read earlier from Revelation chapter 7, we're going to drop back to Revelation 5 for this moment, to see that at the conclusion of God's program, it's not just Jews, it's people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Revelation 5, 9 and following says, For with your blood, Jesus, you purchased men and women and children from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation, and you've made them to be a kingdom and a priests and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Today's passage, Jesus sends a clear message. Salvation is available to all of us. God ministers to all of us, not simply to the Jews. The Jews have blessed us by producing a Messiah, a Jesus, a Savior, and salvation is open to us all. At the time of Jesus living this passage that we're looking at today, the Jewish people were focused on themselves and how special they were, and they are special. But they had forgotten about the Gentiles, and no one was really ministering to them. In this passage, Jesus goes to the Gentiles. I'm going to be reading today in Mark, Gospel of Mark, where we've been studying. We're in chapter 7 now. We're getting toward the end of chapter 7. I'll begin reading in verse 24. Jesus left that place. We know where he was in Capernaum. He left that place, and he went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact... As soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to dog to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. This is God's word. May he bless the reading of his word to our hearts. And now, let's take a deeper look to understand some of his thoughts, what he has for us today. It's commonly known among followers of Jesus that after being born in Bethlehem and growing up as a child, Jesus had three years of public ministry. He has just completed in the Gospel of Mark here where we're studying the second year of his ministry, it's been a year-long ministry in the region of Galilee. He spent a whole year in that region teaching, healing people, and now he's heading into the third year of his ministry, and he knows what that means. He understands he has one year left before crucifixion, resurrection, and returning to the Father. He has one year left to get his disciples ready to carry on the ministry when he is gone. And so this last year, wherever he is, outside of Galilee, moving on now, wherever he goes, he will be focused on preparing 
his disciples. He knows what's coming in the future. He knows the attitudes of the Jewish people and even his own followers, his disciples. He knows they must be prepared for an amazing worldwide ministry to Jew and Gentile alike. If you were with us last week, we studied a passage where the religious leaders were particularly hard on Jesus, and Jesus set them straight. And part of his discourse was with them was to tell them, it's no longer like it was in the Old Testament where there's clean food and unclean food. Now, there will, now all food will be clean. He opens a door to something new and unique that would happen. This week, he opens it further to Gentile ministry. So the Jews played an incredibly important part in birthing a Savior to bless the world. This would be a great time to thank God for Jews. And dare I say to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Enough said. You watch the news, right? This would be a great time to be very thankful for how God has used Jewish people to bring all of us salvation. And looking at this passage now, starting in verse 24, we see that the Savior actually retreats. Retreat not because he's losing, but retreat for some quiet time, some private time, perhaps some rest. Verse 24, Jesus left that place, Capernaum, and he went to the vicinity of Tyre. Now, most of us are geographically challenged when it comes to a word like tire. That's not something you put on your car, a tire. It's tire. It's a region. It's about 35, 40 miles from where Jesus had been ministering in the Galilean area in Capernaum. He's escaping from there, and the conflict now that's beginning to build in the last year, the conflicts with the religious leaders that will go greater and greater, and eventually the religious leaders will gain the support of the crowds, and the crowds will call for the crucifixion of Christ. This is the beginning of that year. So Jesus pulls back for a bit for a retreat. A time to simply pray. Refresh, prepare for the year that is ahead. He knows where it will land him. Matthew, another of the Gospels, gives us more detail on this particular passage. Matthew says he went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. It's right along the eastern coast of the Mediterranean. Today we might call it a resort area. Beautiful area to go, to relax. But it was dominated by Gentile people particularly that were caught up with pagan idolatry. No good Jew, no rabbi would ever go to this area. Where does Jesus go for a breather? Tyre and Sidon. They won't chase him there. He can be free for a few days to simply prepare for the last year of his ministry. And by the way, here he will minister to Gentile people, and his disciples need to learn that lesson too because they're going to be carrying this on, this ministry on, once he leaves. Jesus actually mentioned Tyre and Sidon one other time in his ministry. You might recall his words from Matthew chapter 11 when he was confronting 
Jews who refused to believe in him. He said in Matthew 11, if the miracles that were performed among you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. He actually sees more spiritual sensitivity among these Gentile people where he's going, even though there's paganism and idolatry there, than among some of his own people is what Jesus is saying. Do you have a conviction that there are certain people that will probably just never trust Jesus because they're so far away? Really, you don't know what's going on in their hearts. They might have more spiritual sensitivity than you know about. They might be closer to the kingdom than some that you think are almost there. We just don't know the hearts of people. This story paves the way, opening doors for salvation to the Gentiles, people like you and me. Our hearts ought to be rejoicing that Jesus had a vision far bigger than simply saving Jews, as important as that is. He also came to bring salvation to the Gentiles. Our text then goes on to say in this verse, and I've highlighted the second phrase, he didn't want anyone to know that he was there. He's going incognito. I mean, he wants to be alone for a little bit. He wants to refresh. He wants some quietness. He wants a break from some of the rising criticism of the religious leaders. And the next year that he knows, he's got to prepare his heart for what is coming. So as he retreats to this area, he enters a house there. He doesn't want anyone to know that he's there. But he couldn't keep his presence a secret. I mean, when, when Jesus was among the Jewish people, all his healings and his miracles, his teachings, they were unbelievable. And people flocked from everywhere. As he finishes his Galilean ministry, the second year of his ministry, this is his most popular time. He now even goes through a Gentile area, and even some of them know about him. He gets to the house, and he wants to, to be kept quiet. And as soon as he is there... A woman is knocking at the door, and she's making a request. She's a Gentile. Here we go. Here's a request. Verse 25, verse 26. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. This is actually a Greek word that refers to worship. You will hear a little more in this passage, and you get a lot more if you read the parallel account in the Gospel of Matthew. In the Gospel of Matthew, she knows who this is. It's very clear. This is why she comes and she worships at his feet. She calls him Lord and Master. She calls him Son of David. Matthew quotes her. She knows who he is. She knows he is the Savior. This is the one that she can come to because... There's been no other hope for her daughter. So she comes to him. The text goes on and says that the woman was a Greek. Certainly she's a Gentile. She's born, she was born in Syria and Phoenicia in that region, and she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. I want you to think for a moment. It says she begged. This is a word in the original language that means she didn't just beg once. She kept begging. She kept begging. She kept begging. She was relentless. 
And I want you to think of the odds this woman has of receiving attention in the culture at this point. Number one, she's a woman. Sorry, gals, it was a male-dominated world, and women were less than important. She was a woman. She was also a Gentile, and Jesus had made it clear, and it shows up in the Matthew account, that, you know, he had come to minister to the lost sheep of Israel and to bring salvation, and she, she stands and she begs for help. Obviously, the odds against her even include the enemy. The demonic realm has possessed her daughter. When you read the Matthew account, you see the disciples saying, Jesus, Jesus, send this woman away. Who is She's a woman. She's a Gentile. Get rid of her. And then when you read the passage, at least at first it appears even Jesus is against the woman. But she keeps asking. She represents a category of people that are the unlikelies to receive the love, care, and attention of God to receive the mercy and the grace of God. Do you know people like that? Are you a person like that? Oh, God would never. Me? (laughs) He didn't turn her away. In fact, what you're going to see in these verses is he didn't even give her the cold shoulder. It appears at first reading he does, but he doesn't. He actually is setting the stage for a very robust, a very powerful faith in her life to be shown to the disciples. So the disciples who need to learn, it's not just about salvation for the Jews, but for the Gentiles too. They can see a Gentile woman with tremendous faith in God. Here we go. Notice the Savior's response in verses 27 and 28. First, Jesus says, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to dogs. Did Jesus just call her a dog? What is this thing about children eating and throwing stuff to dogs? Jesus is drawing an analogy that the Jewish, he came to visit, he came to bring a message to lost Israelites, the Jews. Jesus is saying, so shall I turn from ministering to them? and offer the meal that was given to them, to dogs. Notice how she picks right up on the analogy. She's not going to stop asking. She says, yes, Lord, she doesn't disagree with him, anything that he has said, but even the dogs under the table get to eat the children's crumbs. Actually, if you read the Matthew account again, I've referred to it several times. Yeah, we ought to read it probably, but in the Matthew account... When she first asked, Jesus doesn't even pay attention to her. He talks to the disciples. Is he giving her the cold shoulder? Then he calls her a dog? What's going on here? But she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table get to eat the children's crumbs. She catches on right away to Jesus' analogy. He's there to minister to the Jews. But she asks for some crumbs that could fall from the table that she might have just a little. She's a smart one. She's witty. She understands that she is undeserving. But she won't stop asking. She asks. She begs. 
She's not looking for a full meal, just a little nugget that falls from the table. She's not asking to be at the table. She's just asking for a little help, a touch of his power. She's even willing to take the title dog. Having said that, we need to talk about dogs for a moment. For the Jews of this day, often the religious leaders would often call Gentiles dogs. And there was a specific Greek word that was used for it, dogs. But that's not the word Jesus used here. Those dogs that the Jews were referring to were the wild ones, the scavengers that ran in packs, and they were nasty. Jesus used a different Greek word here that now begins to show his heart is not hard toward this woman. His heart is open to her. He uses the word that refers to a, a home pet, a little puppy dog, a friendly dog. And she picked right. She sensed the grace in that comment. She's not being called one of the wild scavenger pack dogs. And I imagine the disciples, if they're there, tune into this as well. Wait a minute. He didn't call her the right name. She tunes in and she continues to ask. Jesus needed to give some time here to let his disciples, to let others see the robust faith this woman has. She keeps asking. He doesn't push her away. He's actually showcasing her faith. She never gave up. She wants healing for her daughter. She is persistent. She is humble. She's willing to be called a puppy dog. And she keeps trusting. It was D.L. Moody who said Jesus never excludes people from coming to him unless they're excluded by the fact that they're too full of themselves. You see her humility? She comes, she falls, she worships, she begs multiple times. And using Jesus' analogy, she's even willing to say, I'm not looking to sit at the table, I'm just looking for a little morsel for my daughter. And in light of this, with her faith very much as a showcase, Jesus now performs the miracle. Verses 29 and 30, here's the miracle. And he told her, for such a reply, because of this picking up on the analogy and the willingness to receive a nugget and not ask to be at the table, for such a reply, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. The focus in this passage is really on the tremendous faith of this unlikely individual, this Gentile woman from an area that's dominated by pagan idolatry. She has come to the Lord. There is no one else to go to. Matthew even says it in his account. He quotes Jesus as saying, Woman, you have great faith. The only time... 
Other time in the Gospels, Jesus commends a person for having great faith is a man who was a Gentile. He was a centurion, and Jesus commended him for his great faith. Sometimes great faith shows up where you least expect it. And sometimes the very people you expect to have faith, their faith is weak, and they're struggling. Perhaps today, maybe even an event like Trunk or Treat, you will bump into someone who has a faith in God. They just need a little more direction, a little love to draw them closer to the Savior. Maybe that will happen. Sometimes we dismiss people just thinking, oh, they'll never come to Jesus. Sometimes they're a different age or a different nationality or a different class or they dress differently. They look different. We make a snap judgment based on the outward appearance. But people are people. And you can't see who the Spirit of God is drawing. And the faith that is being turned on in their life as they wonder what God has, will he even respond to them? This faith of ours is not just for those who seem to fit and who are more, shall we say, acceptable. It is for all. It is for an unlikely individual in this passage. She's a woman, she's a Gentile, and she's from a pagan area. She can't help any one of those things. She can't help she was born a woman. She can't help she was born a Gentile. She can't help that she was born into a pagan area. But boy, she's got a faith that causes her to pursue Jesus. Spirit of God has turned on a switch of faith in her life, and she comes and she bows. She humbles herself and begs. And he doesn't overlook her for someone that is more important. Maybe your idea of God is that he'll pay attention to someone who is more gifted, better than you. No, that's not the way God works. God loves you. He died for you. Even if you're, according to society standards, you're the unlikely one. He loves you. And he never turns anyone away. Unless they're so full of themselves that they're not willing to humble themselves and come to him. This sermon is particularly for those that are looking for a nugget from God. You see yourself as undeserving, maybe rejected even by those who are more religious, but you're willing to humble yourself and persistently come because there's no other hope. You're willing to trust. You just don't know how to do it. If you're in that class today, I'm very pleased to tell you that God chose a nation called Israel. 
through whom he would send a savior for all Jews and all Gentiles. It's available if you will respond. Put your faith there. Jesus loved you, and he took the punishment for your sin so that you could experience forgiveness of sin and salvation. Would you all bow your heads with me, please? If you are here today and you have not trusted Christ as Savior from sin, I urge you to turn to him as your Savior. Come to him humbly. He will give you that amazing nugget of salvation that will forgive your sins and provide you the amazing eternal life of salvation with him forever. Never mind that you think you are unlikely to receive it. Never mind the sins that are in your past. He knows all about it. In fact, he knows it better than you do. Just come and trust him. He loves you. He will forgive. Father, each one of us here that has trusted you can now bask in this great joy of knowing we are forgiven. We too were undeserving. None of us deserve this, but you love us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you made a way through your son Jesus. And now for those online with us as well as those in the auditorium that are talking to you right now and saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive my sin, please. I believe Jesus died for me. He took my punishment. Forgive their sin. Make them your child. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen.